welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. I would like for us to begin in prayer this time before the message and preparing our hearts for God's Word. Father, we do come before you requesting, Lord, that you would open our hearts and minds to your Word. Father, still our thoughts and our hearts to receive your word. May the Spirit of God enable us, Lord, to, to be helped, to be encouraged, to be challenged, and to accomplish all that you want to accomplish uh, this morning, Father. May your word truly uh, challenge us and uh, help us in our need. Father, we pray for your, your grace. We pray that you might be exalted in the message this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've come to a major transition in this letter. In the first three chapters, we have seen the focus on doctrine, our riches in Christ, and God's plan for everything to be united in Christ. Paul has specifically shown how that the church is part of this plan, how that the church gives testimony to the power and wisdom of God by reconciling us to God and to each other through Christ. Well, the last three chapters focus on the practical living of the Christian life. And we see verse 1, uh, this transition. Notice together Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, some of you may be thinking, I'm glad that we're finally getting to the practical section of this letter. Or others may be thinking, I wish we could stay here in this more doctrinal section of the letter. Well, some people are, are, are more thinkers. They like study and doctrine. And others are, are more doers. Uh, when it, They like the, the practical teaching of God's Word. But when it comes to Christian doctrine and practice, we must have both. And the order is always doctrine first and practice that flows out of the doctrine. This is the pattern that we see in the scriptures. God reveals to us the truth, then based on that truth, calls us to action. You see, we must know the truth, but it is not enough to know it. We must do it. As Jesus in John 13 and verse 17 told his disciples, if you know these things, Blessed are you if you do them. Well, many today in the church are trying to practice Christianity without doctrine, or at least to, to minimize doctrine. But this is not possible. Practice always follows doctrine, whether it's good or bad. If your doctrine is weak or false, your practice will to that degree be weak or false. 
For example, let's say you grew up in a, a legalistic environment. Your doctrine is that if you obey and do well, then God accepts you. Your practice will reflect that thinking. You will find yourself always trying to be good enough, trying to earn God's favor. And you will not know the joy of living by the grace of God. Also, doctrine must not be divorced from practice. There's a great danger of learning more and more without the intention of obeying what we have learned. This is why we see in the letters to the churches this repeated uh, words like therefore or for this reason. You see, learning more about God and what he has done for us should move us to obedience and a heart to live for him. Otherwise, our learning can, can lead to pride and a judgmental attitude towards others. We can learn much from Paul in the way that he admonishes us. Notice he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you. And so what we have from Paul here is a loving admonition. Paul was an apostle of the Lord. He came with all the authority of God. But you will notice that his admonition is not harsh, but loving. Paul was at times harsh, but only with those who were rebellious and had a hard heart. Notice he says, I urge you. This is the, the familiar Greek word, parakaleo. This word has a range of, of nuances of meaning uh, from appeal to beg, encourage, comfort, implore. It literally means to call to one side. And so you can imagine a friend who, who comes along beside you and puts his arm around you and admonishes you or comforts you in love. We also have the related word parakletos which is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the Holy Spirit as one who comes beside us and pleads our calls or intercedes on our behalf, our advocate. And this is Paul's uh, plea to us. It is a, is a loving admonition. Paul also identifies himself again as a prisoner of the Lord. In chapter 1, in the beginning of the doctrinal section, he identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. But here he admonishes them to practical Christian living. He, he reminds them that he is a prisoner. As Paul is, is leading the way. He, he is paying the price for obedience and submission to the Lord. He's presented himself as, a, as one in humility. And so we learn from Paul how that we are to conduct ourselves. We have no authority of our own, but we have the authoritative word of God. And we can speak and, and counsel and admonish the truth. But we must do so with love and compassion. This is what Paul teaches in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, where he says, Brother, if, if anyone is caught in any transgression, 
you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Notice this same attitude as he writes to Philemon, admonishing him to receive Onesimus back. You remember that Onesimus was the runaway slave that came to faith when he uh, met Paul. And now Paul is uh, writing to Philemon to intercede on his behalf for him. In Philemon, verse 8 and uh, through 10, he says, <clears throat> writing to Philemon, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Well, this letter was written at about the same time as the letter to the Ephesians. And you can see the same type of, uh, of an appeal or plea. It's the, the same word that's used here as he writes to Philemon. And so we have this loving admonition from Paul. As we come back to our text, let us now see what Paul is urging. What is his plea? And his plea is a worthy walk. Notice in verse 1 again, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, there's two main questions that uh, need to be answered. First of all, we need to be clear about the calling that he's referring to. What is the calling to which we have been called? Well, this takes us back to what Paul has been writing about in the first three chapters. The work and purpose of God in our salvation. He's talking about the specific work of God to bring the elect or the, the chosen to salvation. And it goes beyond our present salvation to God's eternal purpose for us. Uh, remember his prayer back in chapter 1. Verse 18 and 19, where he says, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? You see, God didn't just save us to keep us out of hell. He has saved us with an eternal purpose that we might be holy and blameless before him in love. And so there is this ultimate purpose of God, that one day we as believers will stand before him clothed in the righteousness of Christ, holy and blameless, because of all our sins and unrighteousness are forgiven, paid for at the cross of Christ. And so we have this past justification. And we also have a future glorification that we await when we are to be with the Lord. But what about the time in between, between when we were saved and when we go to be to the Lord? What about the now? Well, Paul is admonishing us to live 
in present sanctification. As we look back to our past justification and remember what he has done for us in Christ, and we look to future glorification when we will be with him, we are motivated to live for him in the present. This is what Paul is doing. And he says it this way also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. He says, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Well, this brings us to the, the second main question, and that is, who is worthy? And the short answer is, no one is worthy. The, the Christian life from start to finish is all of God's grace. And you'll notice that he doesn't say, be worthy, but rather, walk in a manner worthy. This metaphor that he uses of walking is often used by Paul to refer to our manner of life. It's our attitudes and actions and daily living. And it's a fitting metaphor because like walking, the Christian life is one step at a time. And as Paul has prayed in his letter, we must daily walk in the power and in enablement of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 2, Paul described our walk before salvation as according to the course or the way of the world under the power of Satan. But now in Christ, we have a, a new walk under the power of the Holy Spirit of God. In the next three chapters, Paul will show what this new walk in Christ should look like. He calls us to a worthy walk. And the word translated worthy, it speaks of an equal weight. Think of the old balance scales, where you put a weight on one side to balance the weight that is on the other side. You see, who we are in Christ and what God has planned for us has a weight or a worth. And the admonition is to walk in a manner that is equal to that. In other words, our life should be fitting or match who we are in Christ. Have you ever been to an amusement park or somewhere where they have a, a face in the whole board, where, where you put your face in a cutout uh, on a board that has a, a body, and it usually looks rather ridiculous because your face and the body that's on the, the board really don't match. I remember one time when we were somewhere and the boys were still in their teens and there was this uh, poster of a, of a Viking with this cutout for your face. And so we got pictures of the boys posing as a Viking, this big and strong and uh, very fierce looking uh, picture of, a, of this Viking warrior. And I expected that uh, the pictures would look rather silly. But I remember being surprised at Zachary's picture. He had this broad jawbone and, and bushy eyebrows, and his hair had gotten a little bit long, and, 
And I, I remember looking at it saying, wow, he could actually pull off this look. And so it reminds us that our life should really match. It should match up to who we are in Christ. And it calls us to ask the question, does my life match up to the name Christian, a follower of Christ? On the one side of the scale is the high calling of God in Christ. And on the other side of the scale is our lives. And the only way that our lives can match is if we walk step by step, yielded to the will of God under the Spirit's control. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. He says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, we've been given spiritual life by the power of the Spirit. Therefore, we must live or keep in step with Him, who is with us and enables us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Well, an important part of our calling is who we are collectively in Christ, that is, the church. If you have been with us in this series, you know that Paul has spent a lot of time, really from, from chapter 2, verse 11, all the way through chapter 3 to verse 13. He'd been talking about the unity of the body of believers, Jews and Gentiles made one in Christ. And in the next few verses, he will admonish us on the specifics on how we can maintain this unity. And so he moves from the broad principle in verse 1, that we walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, to the specifics of what that looks like in our day-to-day -day living. So in this message, I've been talking to believers, those who have been called by God into a new life in Christ. We are able to walk according to who we are in Christ because of the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, which enables us and empowers us to live for Him. But some people have the idea that Christianity is just a lifestyle. It's a, a set of religious moral norms to keep. You might hear them say something like, well, I've tried Christianity, but it didn't work for me. Or, or the person who makes an effort to be a good Christian, but their heart really is not in it. I've at times seen, seen them while I'm preaching. I can be talking about the most wonderful truths of, of God and what He's done for us, and they could be no less interested or more miserable as they sat and listened, and you could tell they just couldn't wait until I was finished. You see, that person doesn't have the new life that Paul has described in chapter 2. And specifically there in verses 4 to 9, where he talks about the believer being raised up with Christ in spiritual life. And he, and he describes that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. This work of God changes us and causes us to have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. So, just to be clear, and it really, we shouldn't have to say it, but we do, 
You must be a Christian before you can live the Christian life. I'm afraid there's many people who are trying to live the Christian life that have never experienced the new life in Christ. One last closing thought, the message from verse 1. You remember that at the end of chapter 3, in Paul's doxology, he says, To him be glory in the church. And then immediately he urges us, the church, to have a worthy walk. And these two are directly linked together. Uh, if, as we, the church, walk according to who we are, we give glory to God. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 5, 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. May that be in our heart today and this week before us, that we would walk step by step with Him, allowing the Spirit of God to guide us and direct us so that we might walk in such a way that it would reflect who we are in Christ and what He has called us to be and where we are headed in Him as children of God. Let's pray together. Father, we do rejoice in you this morning and what you have done for us, for who we are in Christ Jesus. For the future that we have, this hope that you have promised for us, one day that we'll be with you. Lord, may these truths motivate us and encourage us to yield our lives to you and walk in such a manner, Father, that you are exalted and you are glorified by our lives and by our collective unity in Christ as the body of Christ. Lord, we need your help. Help us and forgive us, Lord, for, for trying to live a Christian life in our own strength. Lord, may we live in yielded dependence upon you, empowered by your Spirit and through your Word. Lord, make us to be what you've called us to be in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our holy confidence? That our souls to Him belong. Who holds our days within His hand? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to the end? The love of Christ in which we stand. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess Christ our What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is 
is his grace and goodness known in our great redeemer's blood who holds our faith when fears arise who stands above the stormy trials who sends the waves to bring us nigh unto the shore the rock of christ oh sing hallelujah our hope springs eternal oh sing hallelujah now and ever we confess christ our hope in life and death unto the grave what will we see christ he lives christ he lives and what reward will heaven bring everlasting life with him where we will rise to meet the lord then sin and death will be and we will feast in endless joy when Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing hallelujah, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah, now and ever we confess. Christ our hope in life and death.